0: Well, it wasn't just a difficult day. It was a difficult season. It was more than a difficult month. It was a difficult year for Sarah Winchester. Sarah Winchester was the widow of William Winchester. And in 1886, after burying her husband and then also burying her daughter, she said, I just need a change of pace. So she moved from Connecticut And she moved to San Jose, California and bought herself this beautiful farmhouse. This eight-room, 44-acre kingdom of serenity, she would call it. But even with the kingdom of serenity, there's this thing within all of us that she was facing. I've heard it said that the Mississippi River is not the greatest river that we have. It's a river with two words called, if only. If only I could get to the other side. If only I could have more time, more rooms, she would say, more space, more people, maybe even just more, I'd have what I'm looking for. So Sarah began the forever unfinished construction of what now looks like today, the Winchester Mansion. And so it started with eight rooms and now has 160 rooms, 13 bathrooms, six kitchens, 47 stairways, 17 chimneys, 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 24,000 square feet. And still, if only. So in 1922, when she passed, people went through the house. This is a picture of the most recent Things that have been done to this place. The forever unfinished construction would now be known as the Winchester Mystery House. Because people wondered, her neighbors would wonder why there would always be construction going on. And they would find out within her, she was searching for that if only, if I could just get to that next thing, if there was just more of this, more time, more space, more rooms, maybe even just more of anything. Come to find out, that the thing that she was searching for, she would spend at that time $5 million, estimated in the time of 1923. In today's terms, that's $71 million. And she was searching for one thing peace. She felt as if that when she was alone, that she was tormented. She felt that when she was alone, it was more scary that she didn't have any peace. So she would have construction workers work day to night, night to day, continually all around her so she wouldn't be alone. Because if only I had more people around the house, I could have some more peace. She spent $71 million. And if you ever visit San Jose and go to the Winchester Mystery House, it is, it's a mystery. All right. She spent that to find peace. What about me? What about you? What do we spend to find peace? She had this kingdom of serenity and never experienced the kingdom of God. If I could go back in time, I would tell her this famous verse we say around Christmas time. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. He would be the wonderful counselor, the one who has wonderful plans for your life. He would be the mighty God, the one who has divine power in the midst of our restlessness. He would be the everlasting father, the one who is provider and protector of all of us. And he would be the prince of peace who rules in his amazing kingdom with compassion and grace to give us wholeness, shalom, and wellness. Irenae. Jesus would offer us this peace, but I don't know if you're like me at times, I wonder if I can find that peace, because we come to this Christmas season, saying if I can get peace anywhere, shouldn't it be in the Christmas season? How do I find this peace in the Christmas season that's filled with wonder? You go around and you look at all of the lights, and the lights are beautiful, and I'm filled with wonder because I'm wondering how much their bill is, and it's also filled with worry, A Harvard study came out that 62% of adults experience very elevated stress during this time of year. You or someone you know is fighting cancer, is experiencing divorce, is on the verge of bankruptcy, is going out of business or simply out of work. You or someone you know this Christmas season is missing someone. Your table looks different this year. There's a chair that they used to sit in. Maybe it was because there was a memorial or maybe it's because there was conflict in the family and you just don't talk anymore. I look at my life and I'm thinking, God, you're the Prince of Peace and and I've seen so many things happen and I've seen so much conflict. You're the Prince of Peace, supposed to be your kingdom, but Prince of Peace, where are you? Because you're not ruling here. You must not be. So Prince of Peace, where are you? Do you care about the situations we're walking through? Before we go any further, I just want to pray for those of us that are in desperate need of peace today. Watching online, you're in desperate need of peace. Outside on the patio, you're in desperate need of peace. Here in the room, I'm just in desperate need of peace. This is Pastor Kamarsha. There's just so much brokenness in the world and things that we're seeing that are unfinished and undone. God, could you just bring it back together? The peace in, that you desire for your home it's just filled with everything but peace. And we need peace today. So before we go into our Bibles, I want to pray for us. That our hearts would be ready to receive. That our ears would be open. And we'd allow God to do what he wants to do. So let's pray together. God, we open our hearts to you. We're ready to hear from your word. Lord, we're asking one thing. Be who you are. We're asking for peace. It's your name, the Prince of Peace. So God, would you offer to us the very thing that we've been desiring, the very thing that Sarah Winchester had been searching for, the very thing that many of us maybe have spent money to find, time to find, talent and treasures to find. We're looking for peace. Bring us peace today. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to the book of Matthew? We'll be in Matthew chapter 6. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, uh, it's going to be in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament. Open up your Bible halfway, like I say, each week. You'll get to like Psalms or Proverbs. You might see Ezekiel. Keep going over to the right. Uh, Then you're eventually going to get to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible. Then you'll get to Matthew, which is the first book. And and in Matthew, you're like, I'm familiar with Matthew, but isn't, isn't baby Jesus... Adult Jesus in Matthew 6? He is. Since we're talking about the Prince of Peace today, if we're waiting for this arrival of Jesus, the Advent season, maybe we need a better picture of what we're actually waiting for. Because what if we're waiting for the person that would, that would go to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, that would stand while the rest of the room would sit down and he would begin this discourse, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, because he literally preached a sermon on a mountainside, and he would begin to share with them what the kingdom of God looks like. I'm trying to build a kingdom of man, and he says, that's not the kingdom you want. There is a kingdom of God that will transform your life, that will bring you the peace that you're looking for, the hope that you're looking for. In the season, I'm looking for a thrill of hope, and Jesus says, it is found in me. That's the Jesus we've been waiting for. That's the Jesus that your neighbors are waiting for. That's the Jesus, if it's your first time joining us today, that you're hoping to see. And I pray that as we look at God's word, that you would find him as I have found him and be changed by him forever. Jesus begins this sermon on the mountain, Matthew chapter 5, and he talks through a few different things, goes to Matthew chapter 6, and he talks through a few different things, and where we're jumping in, in Matthew chapter six twenty-five, he had just finished talking about not serving God and money, or mammon, uh, and the reason is because you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other, and then he goes to this passage, and he says, now about all those things I've already said, I want to tell you something else. Because the whole reason Jesus is talking, he's trying to share with us the kingdom of God looks like something and my kingdom people act a certain way. So this is what he says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Okay, I would have raised my hand right there. Hey, just ask us not not to breathe and still be alive, okay? Because the same thing, don't worry, that's difficult. That's almost impossible unless there's a better way. Unless it is possible. Unless we find it some way in Jesus. Don't worry about your life. Now before I go any further, your uh, translation or paraphrase may say, don't be anxious. Um, do not be anxious about your life. I want to make it very clear. Um, This word worry is speaking about a weight and a heaviness that we have no clue what to do with and we can do the wrong things with it. What Jesus is not talking about is clinically diagnosed anxiety. That is something where we go to Jesus and we seek our therapy. We seek our help in any way that we can continue to be whole and healed and experience all of our shalom that we can find in Jesus and the help of the people God has placed on this earth. So what he's talking about today is this worry and this heaviness. And I'll go ahead and further explain it in a little bit. Don't worry about your life, this perpetual uneasiness and distraction. What you will eat or what you will drink or or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Of course it is. But we forget that. I mean, Jesus is talking to the, the people that are there. Many of those people are coming from places where they don't have generational wealth. What they have is generational clothing, where the clothes on their back were actually passed down from their grandparents and to the parents and to the parents to the kids. And they might have one extra cloak for when they sleep in the wilderness. They just have the clothes on their back. And he says, Don't worry about the clothes on your back, don't worry about your food. You're talking to a people who understands famine, who understands when it doesn't rain, the river dries up, so there's no water. If there's no water, there's no crops. If there's no crops, there's no living. If there's no living, there's no life. How am I going to feed my family when I can't even feed the people that are paying me to grow the crops? And Jesus says, isn't life more than that? He says, consider the birds. Mind you they're outside They would have seen different kinds of birds they, they would have seen the over 10,000 species of birds that we have today They would have even seen the ravens Which were considered unclean birds And Jesus goes on He says consider the birds of the sky They don't sow or reap or gather into barns Yet your heavenly father feeds them Even the ravens? Yeah he feeds them too But even this bird God? Yeah that bird too Aren't you worth more than they? Jesus is saying, you know, you know the creation story. You're the only one that God breathed into. You're the one created in God's image. You are the apex of creation. You are, you are the apple of God's eye. You are the one that, that he said is fearfully and wonderfully made. You are perfect in his sight. You are so much more than birds. Your father cares for them. Then he asked a rhetorical question. Can you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? He says, and why do you worry about clothes? And we're like, well, because we need to. We need to wear clothes, God. It's, a, it's the world we live in. Thanks, Adam and Eve. He says, observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Now, as I said, these people are, are wearing clothes that were passed down from generations. And as they're on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus is, is, is sitting down and the rest of the people are standing up, which I thought we should try one time. Like if I sat down and preached, no, we're not going to do it. But they would have looked around and they would have seen all the wildflowers. And what's really beautiful, in God's amazing sovereignty, he knew that it was going to be at that place. And I wonder if he, with the wildflowers, he said, these wildflowers are going to be purple and blue and scarlet and and just these beautiful, deep, royal colors. And why does that matter so much? Well, because only the wealthy could wear colors like that. Because you had to actually get the cloth and then dye the cloth. And the cloth to dye was very expensive. So Jesus says, look at the wildflowers. Look at their colors that they wear. And he goes on. yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all of his splendor. That word splendor is doxa, which means glory was adorned like one of these. You're trying to wear all of these colors so you can look a certain way, but you see the flowers? The beauty that God creates is better than anything man could ever attempt to create. Verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, how beautiful is that? God says, when it comes to the grass, you know the clothes of the the grass? Flowers. Next time you're walking... And you see flowers and grass. They were in little clothes. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Thrown into the furnace because it was used as fuel. Grass was used as fuel. Won't He do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, "What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear?" For the Gentiles, that word is pagans, those who do not even believe in the God of the Bible, the real God, the one true God. They may serve multiple gods and and not believe our God even exists. For the pagans eagerly seek all of those things. What to eat, what to drink, and what to wear. And your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows that you need them. He said, here's the beginning of the remedy. Seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of your striving for more. Instead of your striving, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? God, what am I going to do? Instead of your striving, begin with seeking. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. Why do we serve God? Because he's been serving me all along, continually. My son, what do you need? My son, I'm here for you. That's the God I want to serve. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Well, thanks, Jesus. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When it comes to the worry that we face, Jesus says, if, if you're going to worry, don't. Uh, hey, thanks, Jesus. That was so helpful. Just, hey, just stop worrying, everyone. Oh, perfect. Okay, we're going to pray. That's the end of the message. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when it comes to worry, I want you to know what it is doing. I want you to know the weight of the worry. Because we treat worry just a a little nonchalantly. And Jesus is letting us know that worry actually robs the very thing I want to give you. Worry robs your peace. Worry robs when God wants to give. Worry robs our peace. I I was reading a study recently, and it talked about the three areas that we worry about the most. Money, family, family and work. How true is that? It literally robs our peace, it robs our life, and it robs our rest. I don't know about you, when I wake up at 2 a.m. out of nowhere, my first thought is not, oh, thank you God for waking me up. You are so mighty and great to be praised. I say, God, why am I up? And then I start thinking, oh, I have that meeting today. Oh, that meeting is coming. Oh, I got to drive to the meeting. Do I have enough gas? I got to go get gas. Gas is so expensive right now. Oh, Lord, gas is so expensive. And if I use that for the gas and then but it's Nikki's birthday today. Happy birthday. But I want to make sure that I get her things. Okay, so there's finances in that. And then, then God, I got to do that. But my family, I got to make sure. Oh, I'm picking up my nephews today. So I'm picking up my nephews. Got to, next thing you know, it's 4 a.m. And I just worried for two hours. And then the whole day, I'm restless. I'm learning for me, my worry is found in anything that is uncertain about the future. Unpredictable about future events. Anything that threatens my safety, my security, and my health is where we begin to worry. Have you found yourself worrying lately? Money, family, and work? When when God wants to offer us the life that we could never imagine, worry tries to rob us. We find ourselves in this restlessness, this worry, this perpetual state of uneasiness and distraction. Jesus reminds us in his his message, I want you to know that worry is robbing you. And if you hear nothing else today, please know that worry is robbing you. and There's something that we can do with it. And this is why Jesus, he begins, he says, I want you, don't worry about your life. I, I told you in this context, they're, they're, you're, he's talking to people who are looking for the basic needs. I just, I just want food and, and water and, and shelter and clothing. That's, that's all I need. And Jesus says, don't even worry about that because you serve an amazing heavenly father. I've heard it said that worry is fear's extravagance. Isn't that so true? The very thing we fear, we start to begin to worry, and it starts to run our entire lives. I feel like Jesus knew where we would be in the state of the world when we have uh, anxiety and and depression on the highest levels it's ever been. I feel like Jesus knew this, and in Matthew chapter 5, he begins, I'm going to talk to you about the big five F's that we worry about. Food, finances, fashion, future, family man isn't that everywhere that I worry and Jesus in Matthew 5 begins let's talk about the things that are going to distract you and pull you away these material things these temporal things I want you to focus on the heavenly things and Jesus as he is sharing all of this I wonder if he's thinking about what would happen in Matthew chapter 8 When after hearing this, people were amazed and astonished because he taught with authority like they'd never heard before. And a scribe walked up to him and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus looked at him in the eye after the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, what I'm doing is trusting my Father. I'm trusting my Father wherever he leads. Because my Father will always provide for me. See, Jesus was not living in this perpetual state of uneasiness. Now, were there moments when we find Jesus in the garden when the weight of the world is on him and he tells his disciples, I am am weary and I am heavy to the point of death. Yes, we find those moments, but the beauty is Jesus knows that that worry does rob and that worry does need to leave because we need to welcome the Father. How does our worry rob us? A beautiful playwright, his name is William Ainge, He describes worry this way. He says, worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Oh, isn't that so true? And he goes on, worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Seeing that we're living in a day of worry. When you're experiencing today of worry, you're more exhausted than any other day of the week. One author said a day of worry is more exhausting than one day of work. And how true it is. We find ourselves in these worry spirals. I see myself going into the worry spirals and I just begin to worry about anything and everything. Reminds me of the story of a federal court judge who was in the middle of a conspiracy case, and as him and his wife went to the hotel, he began to take off his jacket from the day of, of presiding over the court, and then he took off his tie, and as he took off his tie, he felt a, a little circle inside of his tie. And he stopped, and he took his hands off it, and he said, "Call the bodyguard." The bodyguard came in and he said, something is on the tie. This needs to be investigated. This needs to be checked out. I don't know if it's someone trying to end my life or they can hear every word that I'm saying right now, but you need to get this tested. Get this checked out. So the bodyguard comes over. They get it all investigated. They stay inside of the hotel. They cancel the court proceedings. And then he gets a call. And the person on the other line says, sir, we don't know who put that silver circle inside of your tie. But what we do know is that when you press it, it plays jingle bells. <laughs> he was worried about everything. Isn't that where we find ourselves? If this happens, then that happens. In fact, that's, that's truly the, the name and the word that we're talking about. Merim now is the word worry that we see in scripture. It comes from two words. Merim is division and nous is mind. It literally means division of the mind distraction and every time I think about worry I remember how I was raised going to church not believing it but going to church forced to church and I would sit down and I would hear a pastor from the platform say something like worry is a sin and so I would grow up even after giving my life to Jesus whenever I would worry I would feel guilty and if I'm honest sometimes I still feel that with my worry Now, I'm here to tell you today, praise God, worry is not a sin. Just like anger is not a sin. It's what happens when we do and what we do with our anger or with our worry. So I feel this guilt when I worry. And then I start to go through these spirals. Say, why am I worrying about that? God, I should just trust you, but... And this worry is just, no, it's not a sin, Marcus. And why are you even thinking it's a sin? That you're just, you're bad to even theologi- theologically, that doesn't even make sense. So now you're having bad theology. And I start going down into the spiral. and It's like, what happens if I don't do this? Or if this happens, if this person thinks this, and what are other people going to think? What are other people going to say? I start going down and down and down. And my wife right next to me will begin stroking my back. And she'll say, what are we worrying about? <laughs> Notice she doesn't say, why are you worrying Because she has this relationship where she says, I I want to know what the worry is. What are we worrying about? We. And I begin to tell her. And then, because she's amazing, she starts walking me out of the spiral. Well, what happens if that happens? Well then this happens and this happens and well what's under that worry? Well well this and what's under with this, this and that, and I get to some of these core things that that I'm still talking with therapists about, still working through. At the end of the day, she reminds me, Well, why don't we practice some of our practices? And being the amazing woman that she is, studying psychology. And she teaches me some of these things. One of them is called finger breaths. And I'm gonna teach them to you today in the midst of our worry. Because yes, Jesus, and yes, tools and therapy. She teaches me finger breaths. And if you have your hand, would you just put it out in front of you just like this? Just like this. And what you're gonna do, or you can do it this way, whatever's more comfortable, um, you're just gonna trace your fingers in a moment. And I'll walk you through it. But you're gonna breathe in when you go up. And you're going to breathe out when you go down. So put your hand up in front of you. let's, Let's try this. Here we go. Everyone breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Notice the sensation on your fingers. Breathe out. Breathe in. Feel the breath entering your lungs. Breathe out. Breathe in. Notice the thoughts leaving your mind. Breathe out. I wish once worked for me. Sometimes I would just keep doing it. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Nikki will say, are we still worrying? You know? But for me, I need tools. I need help. I need to know that I can, yes, I can trust God. And at the same time, I can, I can do what he's taught amazing people to do. And then I'm, I'm reminded of the verse that Pastor Kumar shared, that, that you will keep in mind the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. Somewhat peace, mediocre peace, okay peace. No, perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever because the Lord himself is the Lord. Like He's an everlasting rock. That's what we get to have. And that word dependent... It means to be supported by. It means to be sustained by. It means to be upheld by. He says, if your mind is in a place that says, God, I can't and you can, so I might as well let you, that's when God swoops in, he steps in and he says, oh, there's my peace. And it's amazing to me that the peace that Jesus gives, he would even say in, in John chapter 14, he's like, I don't give in the same way that the world does. My peace is even better than that. You see, the peace that he gives, Jesus offers us a peace that keeps us safe. Worry offers us something that keeps us hostage. Jesus will lead us, and worry will rob us. He says, Don't you want that peace? I've heard it said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it's not going to get you anywhere. I heard one author and pastor say, she said, every night I turn my worries over to God because he's going to be up all night anyway. (laughs) Maybe that's why Jesus would ask, can any of you add one moment to your life by worrying? Like, is there anything you can add in this? Maybe he knew what John Hopkins University just found out. They said this in a a recent statement, we don't know why worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but what we do know is it is a fact. Worry is robbing our peace, it's robbing our rest, and it's robbing our life. It's a division of the mind. It's a subtraction of our happiness. It always takes away and it never adds. It divides, it subtracts, it multiplies our misery, and it never adds. But we need to put Jesus in the equation. Because in the midst of our perpetual concern, and a perpetual uneasiness of the unknown future that we can't control, Jesus steps in. God steps in and he says, focus on me. Because if I focus on God's faithfulness, if I can trust that he cares for me, oh, then everything begins to change. When I'm in those worry spirals and Nikki is right next to me, she reminds me, and this was just recently, she reminded me, she says, worry means we are not present in the current moment she would say how do we counteract that and i'm like no 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 how do we counteract that <laughs> and she says you're not present in the moment which means you're not present with god when you're present with god you can trust that he has it all figured out and i'm like babe you're so good you should do this for a living <laughs> It reminds me of the birds sparrows in the air that God takes care of them his eye is on the sparrow like the famous song is that God sees the sparrow and he cares for them and yes they still go out and do their work they still peck for worms but it's the providence of God to place the worms wherever they peck it's like a beautiful poem said the robin to the sparrow I would really like to know why these humans rush about and worry so Said the sparrow to the robin. I think that it must be. They must have no heavenly father that cares for them. Like the he cares for you and me. If the birds can figure it out. My prayer is we do. That we can trust. On God's faithfulness. And trust that he cares. This is why Jesus said. That's, that's how God clothes the grass. Aren't you much. More. Valuable than that. Of course God is going to do much more for you. We just sang the song, God, we give you all the glory. But in the midst of my worry, I can't give God glory because worry has my worship. So sometimes I just need to sing. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. God, not my worry. I don't want to worship my worry. God, fear is... Has this hold on me. And in fear's extravagance worry has shown up. But God I want to give you the glory and focus on you. And then notice Jesus' words. You of little faith. And for so long I thought that Jesus was being mean. And he he was looking down sitting on his throne and saying you of little faith. But in the context in the actual language what he is saying is you do have a faith. But it's missing something. The way he says it literally means your faith is deficient my faith is missing something at times. When my earthly concerns have superseded my heavenly priorities, Jesus to each of us says, your faith can be huge and your faith can move mountains. But when worry is your everything, Marcus, your faith is missing something. Just believe in me. Trust in me. Well God, how do I do that? And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things are going to be added to you. Where we find ourselves in, in Matthew 6, verse 33, we find ourselves in this place that is the centerpiece of the entire Sermon on the Mount. You have this beautiful table laid out, a feast of words and knowledge and wisdom of the kingdom of God. And Jesus in this moment places the centerpiece and he says, everything else I say, if you don't get this, you'll get nothing. What am I supposed to do in that job? Seek first the kingdom of God. But my relationship is seek first the kingdom of God. Well I'm experiencing some some hardship. Seek first the well, my find seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. I don't know how many of us look at verses like this, and I begin to think back to the moments that I've treated God like a spare tire. I'll use them when I need them. And God says, No, Marcus, I'm I'm the fuel. It even get you going. Without me, you're stuck. Again, back to the rocking chair. Doing something, but not going anywhere. And Jesus stands in front of all of us today. And he says, just like we talked last week, and you heard from God's word, That Gabriel stood before Zechariah and said, I am sharing with you the good news. Jesus is in front of them and saying, I am the good news in the flesh. To give you good news for your soul. To resolve and to ease all of the bad news in your life. And it begins with seeking first the kingdom of God. That is the best news you could ever hear. He says, just begin there. What would I do when I seek him? Well, you're going to find him with all of your heart, as scripture would say. As I'm seeking... And I have all of my worry. And I want God to have all of the glory. So I place all my focus and my worship on him. God, what do I do? Peter, one who followed Jesus, one who denied Jesus, one who felt like he would not even be welcomed around Jesus again. He would write an epistle. and He would say, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You may have heard me, just cast your cares on the Lord. Okay. Well, be reminded that he cares for you too. And this verse has been hitting me because even this week, I kept asking myself, do I really believe that when it comes to the things that I worry about the most? Do I really believe I can cast my cares? Like think of a fishing pole, cast. Uh, the word means cast to throw. Throw your cares to Jesus because he cares for you. Do I believe it? This week in my prayer and preparation for this message, Jesus said, Marcus, the things you worry about the most are where you trust me the least. And I said, okay. Um, money, family, and work. And I work for you. I said, Marcus, would you trust me? And I was just reminded of Matthew eleven twenty eight, when he says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will ease your burdens, and I will give you rest. And many of us walked in today so restless, and Jesus says, that's what I offer. This is, must have been what Paul experienced as he's inside of a prison, of a Roman prison. As he's looking around and trying to figure out what his next meal is going to be. Because it wasn't, it's not like the prisons of today. It's—it's it's, You had to have your meals provided by someone else. He didn't know if he was going to have another meal or, or another pair of clothes. He just had whatever he had inside of his cell. And he would write, rejoice in the Lord always. What, Paul? He says, yeah, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Then he says, the Lord is near. So don't worry about anything. Because the Lord is near. I don't know how many times in my life I've forgotten how near the Lord is. If he's near, I can truly get to that place. I'm not worried. I remember on the playground growing up, my dad's bigger than your dad. My God's bigger than anything. I have no worry. And what happens when worry rises up? I cast it on the Lord because He cares for me. And Paul doesn't end here. He still continues to pen this letter and he says, But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, gratitude, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Marcus, I don't even understand this peace. You're beginning to get it. it. Surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds Christ Jesus I remember having a friend early on in ministry Um, his name was Doc and Doc would have this this bag in his house and whenever he went to his house he'd have this bag and he'd walk in he would just place certain things in it he'd get the bag close it up and he'd put it up high above the doorway in the kitchen. And it was happening all the time. I'm like, I would think, Doc, what is Doc doing? This is weird. So one day, after we kind of built our relationship, I said, Doc, what's up with the bag? And he said, Oh, that's where I place my worries, finances, worry, my future worried about my family. I'm worried about food. I'm worried about work. I want my body to be healthy. I'm worried about fitness. I'm worried about what I'm gonna wear. And I take it and I put it up. This time he showed me the other side. He says, God, and he puts it up really high. He says, it's my God bag. And if you know, Doc, which many of you may not, Um, He's a brother and he's a preacher. And Doc would say, it's my God bag. And I said, well, what happens when you find yourself still worrying about stuff you placed in the God bag? He says, one of the kids pull out. I asked them to pull out the step ladder. They climb up to the ladder. They pull the bag off. And they bring it over to the table. And I have to pull out what I am still worrying about because I didn't trust God with it. I said, then what do you do? I said, I pray. I put it back in the God bag. And I put it back up so hopefully it doesn't come down again. For me, that's trusting in God. It's God, I'm just going to give it to you and trust you with it. I called Doc this past week because I want to make sure it was him that I remember doing this. And, and he said, Marcus, I'll tell you something. I said, How long have you been doing that? He goes, As long as I can remember. And I said, I said, Well, worry is just tough. He said, Here's something you don't know, youngin'. I said, Yeah? He said, Worry is inconsistent, irrational, and ineffective. I got to go. I said, Okay, goodbye. (laughs) But Doc taught me something. What I give to God, I don't need to pull back because I can trust Him with it my worry can be irrational and it can be ineffective but my God He is so effective and He can transform my worry into worship so in the midst of all of your worry don't remove God from the equation invite Him in, remember He is the Prince of Peace and on your way out today you're going to receive a brown lunch bag you can put it on your desk you can put it in your car, you can put it in your house i encourage you to write God on it. Let it be your God bag with your worries. Because I learned from Doc. God can handle it. I can't. So whatever your worry is, let's choose to give it to God today. Let's pray together. God, we come before you. Lord, with all of our worry, all of our pain, all of our frustration and confusion, and God, we place our worries on you. We cast our cares, as your word said in 1 Peter. We cast them on you. Why? Because you care for us. God, give us eyes to see as we walk out today, as we go around, as we walk around, as we begin to see the birds, as we begin to see the flowers, we begin to see the grass, all that you care for. Let us not forget you care for us too, that you call us more valuable. So with all of our worries, all of our cares, we give them to you. Teach us how to trust you. Teach us how to walk with you. Teach us how to serve the Prince of Peace. In your name we pray. Amen. We serve an amazing, powerful, powerful, powerful God of peace. Let's experience him this season.